Hello and welcome to Pipesicle, where we hopefully talk about functional programming. I'm Nadinda. And I'm Tristan. So why Pipesicle? At my job, I use Elm a lot and I use lots of pipes. <laughs> and what is that? Well, maybe we can talk about that later, but yeah, so that's where the name come from. I think it's also because you use Elixir as well, and it's sort of like the similarity in their syntax. It's the one thing where they're sort of similar with the pipes. True. I also use Elixir, but I like Elm better. <laughs> anyway, yes. So that's a little bit about why or what is Pipesicle, perhaps. And so, what should we talk about now? Um... Yeah, so who are we, I guess? We should we should be... Well, I mean, obviously you know that uh, Dinda codes in... Sorry. Obviously you <laughs> know that Nadinda codes in Elixir and Elm, um, which are both functional languages, a little bit different in spirit, I guess, um, but both functional. Um, my day job is mostly in PHP and TypeScript. TypeScript, we probably type program in a... In, in a, in a, in a functional way in TypeScript, but there's really no way to program in PHP in a functional way and maintain your sanity, I don't think. Um, you can do it. I mean, you can do array map, but yeah, just a combination of, of PHP storms limitations and and just the, the syntax of the language just means it's just, it's so much easier to write a, a for loop or whatever and, and, and to ignore to ignore functional idioms and to th- and to think of in terms of object-oriented idioms. However, um, I have always admired uh, functional programming. I in my in my own time, I do a lot of uh, Haskell. I learned functional programming at university, um, not as my main course, but as 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 side courses. Um, and I I genuinely think that uh, when I when I'm coding in a functional way, it, it both helps me to uh, organize my code better. It helps me to refactor my code better. It helps me to, co- to conceptualize other problems better. Um, and even if you're coding in an object-oriented way, I still think there's many benefits from uh, functionally informed object-oriented programming as opposed to uh, some other way of doing uh, OO code. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my side. So completely different from Tristan where basically he learns functional programming from university which I don't have that kind of background because I didn't study computer science at university instead I studied management well I learned coding when I was in school all the way from primary school, middle school, and high school, but I ended up in a different field. But now I'm back. <laughs> so, yeah. Was it 2017 or 2018? When you graduated or when you did the co- the boot camp? Uh, boot camp. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I graduated from my business management degree in 2017. And the next year, I think, it was March 2018, yeah. I attended a coding academy in Indonesia, which is where I'm from. So I started with 
mobile development in Java in that coding academy. But then afterwards, I couldn't get any internship or like full-time job. And then after that, I married Tristan. <laughs> anyway, where was I before I said? Well, well, you were talking about about your second boot camp, I guess. No, the first. Yeah, you had mentioned your first boot camp. Oh yeah, so yeah, I learned Java, which is more about object oriented, of course. And yeah, the second boot camp because I couldn't get any developer's job, I I wanted to do a second class, and then luckily out of nowhere, my bootcamp uh, offered me another scholarship to go for another class and then this time uh, in 2019 I attended the second bootcamp which was in full stack web development uh, so the front end part was in javascript and the back end part is java again so yeah, I think I basically didn't know anything about functional programming because what I learned Pascal at high school. So yeah, I think Pascal didn't. Use. Yeah, Pascal is is not even object oriented. It's um, structured programming. Oh, I don't know about that. I think that's why. I think one of the major reasons we created this podcast is because I didn't learn computer science at university so I want to know more about like the theoretical part of programming and I hope I can learn it from Tristan for now who knows what happens later but then how did I learn functional programming and now work a functional programming job so we moved to Germany in September 2019 and initially, I wanted to do master's degree here, but ended up getting rejected from the program. So I got accepted into outreach. You, you got accepted not into That's the first. Yes. So you, you, you came here and you applied for outreach and, um, and you got admitted to the like the candidacy process it's a selection phase so but outreachy outreach is and i suppose where open source projects create an internship opportunity for people around the world and it's a remote internship i could apply for several open source projects but i only could get accepted into one i think and yeah so i did my contribution period which is the second stage of the application process i suppose i don't remember the details but yes so i contributed to mozilla's project which is pontoon and there they use react with JavaScript, but not TypeScript, right? It was well, Flow, because Flow was another typed extension to JavaScript. The one they're very similar, but 
yeah, so you weren't using TypeScript, you were using Flow, but it's still it's still a typed extension. It's very similar syntax to to TypeScript uh, and and a very similar but it's set of logic. It's based on JavaScript. They're both yeah. extensions to Java JavaScript. Yeah, with with more or less compatible syntax for 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 to make it have a type checker. Okay, so yeah, there I was liking it and. Anyway, yeah. After that, I just want to mention. Sorry to inter- intervene, but like in 2021, because you said it was a remote internship, and in 2021, it's like, yeah, of course it's a remote. Isn't everything remote in 2021? But of course, this is in 2019 before the pandemic. True. So, so at that point in time, actually, yeah. I mean, uh, the reason why they created outreach is to you know to access people from uh, just everywhere basically because mm, to be able to include the people who are not in big cities or like big tech big tech hubs yes true i don't know i'm not the organizer of outreachy you can search more about that i don't know what's the website <laughs> anyway <laughs> well we yeah. can include it in the show notes oh yes we can include that ooh fans <laughs> So, in the Mozilla's project, Pontoon, they use Flow there. So, I have to learn more about type checking. And yeah, after that, I learned a lot. And in November, I believe. So, it was in October 2019. And in November, I attended Code Motion Berlin. So, in Berlin, there was a big conference international conference which is amazing because it was in a cinema so you literally watch tech talks in the giant screen and sitting on a cushy seat that was a dream anyway yeah in Codemotion Berlin I went to the talks by Richard Feldman he didn't talk about Elm but he predicted the future of web and how TypeScript will take over the JavaScript world. And he also talked a little bit about Elm, but Elm will not take over <laughs> the web development world. Anyway, so that was the first time I know about Elm. And then after that talk, I think I asked Tristan, do you know about Elm? Did I know about Elm? I forgot what's your <laughs> I think, answer. I think my answer is probably something like Elm seems like a good programming language, but I'm a little bit concerned about using it in production because it always seems like such a such a moving target. I mean, I'm working on a code base that's probably uh, 25 years old by now. Um, and if, if, if you have every update to elm like it's version 0. Point whatever so every every release is like a breaking release sometimes big breaking sometimes small breaking um you know if the, if it, it it's just that i'm a little bit like I, I like the language i don't like the stability for the absence of stability for when you're using it in production um, especially if you can't predict what the size of your of your team is going to be how long the code is going to have to be maintained for how many lines of code you're going to end up having 
Um, so it makes me nervous. Uh, but in, in terms of the language, the actual language design seems, seems pretty seems pretty decent. Fun fact: Turns out Tristan is listing Elm as his skill on his CV, so he did like Elm at some point of his life. Well, no, I mean I I do like Elm. It's just if somebody wanted me to hire me and say we're working on Elm, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like a fun job. If they ask me um, to come up with a tech stack um, for them, there are circumstances under which I would recommend Elm, but I would not sort of, like, I would be cautious about recommending Elm. Um, it wouldn't be a g- generic, this is a, this is a good choice. In many cases, I would say you're better off choosing TypeScript and React. Um, I don't know whether React is going to end. Like React, also it tends to move around a little bit. Um, so it's possible that actually, at the end of the day, it's not different. Um, React has definitely moved around quite a bit. It's it's definitely a moving target. I'm wondering whether I'm being too harsh, unreasonably harsh on, on Elm there when, when I think about this from that perspective. I mean, from the perspective of JavaScript, JavaScript is just adding stuff. Um, and from the perspective of TypeScript, it's more or less just adding stuff. Um, from the, and and when, when, when there's breaking changes in TypeScript, it's because the code was broken in the first place and it's just telling you about a new breakage that already existed. Um, but but um, Elm and React both have, it, it can be difficult in both cases, whereas at least Elm has the advantage of a type checker, whereas type checkers aren't always very good when it comes to making sure that your React code is, is, is correct when you change from one version to another. Um, yeah, I don't know, now you make me wonder about whether Dinda's smiling, she's grinning at me, oh look, I've tricked this person into changing his mind. Aha! So that was the first time I heard about Elm. And then I found a one-day workshop about Elm in Berlin, which is happening like a week after. I don't know, it's definitely a short time. And then I decided to sign up. It was Elm Bridge, I believe. And yeah, so I went there and then I was hooked basically <laughs> because the first time I learned about Elm, I kind of feel that I've seen this before. I'm trying to remember what's the why I liked Elm at that time. Oh, I remember. So Elm is a functional programming language, right? Yep, yep. And it's all about functions yes which is great because from my first job we had this one giant function that the giant function of doom exactly so there is that there is one giant function that does everything and when i when i learned elm at this workshop it's a bit relaxing because you have to not you have to, but you are encouraged to write 
as many functions as possible just to yeah i I guess elm is also it sort of smaller functions to build on top of each other and it also structure it it has its own um like it, it, it it it's it's also a framework it's not just a programming language and the particular framework that it is the um uh, architecture that it, it, it forces onto you um, gives you a more maintainable code structure compared to a giant function of Doom that does everything. And if you change it, you're going to get a bug that you won't notice for six months. Yes. Or at least won't be able to diagnose for six so months. That's how I learned that JavaScript can be nightmare if somebody is not aware of side effects yes yes because l manages your side effects for you yes maybe that's how you put it that's the architecture of the of elm rather than the programming language oh okay good to know i thought react is inspired by the elm architecture um i don't know whether one i don't think that there's a, a direct line there um they're both inspired by the idea of having a um, of having declarative user interfaces where you uh, have a state and you have a um, model and and you have you, you as as the actual end coder you declare the relationship this when when i'm in this state i should look like this without actually specifying how to change the code to get into that state whereas probably the giant function of doom that you had at your previous job um, with that one there you probably or some whatever the, the, the function probably was responsible for identifying what, what state the, co- the code is in and making any changes to the dom uh, to the rendered html to get it into the right structure according to what the state should be. So whenever you make a change, the user presses a button, it sends a message. Now it looks at this message and it says, okay, that means I'm going to have to change these three widgets over here. So I go off and change these three widgets. Sometimes that's going to put the widget into the same state it was as it would be if you had have done another button. Sometimes it's going to be in a different state and it's just, it's just too confusing to understand. Whereas when you have Elm and when you have React, you're just like, I don't care where I came from and I don't really care where I'm going, but when I'm in this state, I look like this. And then Elm and React is the responsibility of Elm and React to get your to get the DOM or whatever, to get your user interface into that state. And how about immutability? Because another reason why I like Elm at that time, at least, well, I think until now, <laughs> is because of the type annotation. So you precisely know what is this function getting and what it's resulting yeah. or what is it, what what it returns. So, yeah. Yes. Um, so immutability, immutability means that a value doesn't change, right? Mm-hmm. And so... In order for React to work, you have to have a discipline where you, um, you 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 decide that you're not going to change the contents of an array 
or or the or the properties of an object um, except by going through the proper process because that going through the proper process will trigger all the updates um, you don't actually have to write your code immutably uh, it's one common convention to write your code immutably um, but at least some versions of react I, i'm honestly on a fairly old version of react i don't know whether they've made updates to react that break what i'm saying um, if you do make a side effect you can still you know trigger it to re-render and it will re-render re correctly on the basis of what the current value is without like it's not doing a a, a shallow diff necessarily i mean it can do a shallow diff but it's not necessarily doing a shallow diff so but the thing about um being able to change things like you can in javascript is that if you have a function that takes an object of one type it takes a foo and it returns a bar in in javascript it can change the foo and it can change one of the properties in the foo so that it no longer matches the um requirements of a foo so that if you say that a, a, a an, an object is a foo if it contains a property a which is a number your function that takes a foo and returns a bar in javascript can take that property a and change it from a number into a string and so that means that it's no longer a foo so it was a foo when you gave it to the function but at the end of the function it's not a foo anymore okay you can't do that in uh, in elm because elm is everything is immutable so you can't change it and and that's a requirement that 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 allows the or that's a requirement for the more rigorous type checker where you can be really confident that if the type checker is convinced that this is a foo it means it's definitely a foo okay Does that make sense? Yes. Was that what you wanted to hear? Am I telling you stuff that's it's useless? No, <laughs> not at all. I was just reflecting back at what I did. Ah, uh, okay. About how you felt when you first were used Elm. Cool. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I never thought about that before, but maybe when I when I used JavaScript, I don't even remember the way I did. But in JavaScript anymore. I mean, I think it's true that with uh, uh, an extension to JavaScript, a typed extension to JavaScript like Flow, like Flow, like Flow or TypeScript, um, they're not as as they don't inspire the same degree of confidence as Elm because Elm only lets you do safe safe things more or less, um, whereas in in Flow and JavaScript, sorry, in Flow and TypeScript, you can do unsafe things that change the type of an object so that the object doesn't match the interface that you want it or that it used to match. the The life cycle of an object becomes more complex, and because of that, you know that that sort of seeps into the whole language. Even if you don't realize what you're doing, I still think you sort of you somehow know that you know that there's an operation that can change it. And in Elm, you know that there's not an operation that you can change it. You could only return something new. 
Now I wonder whether Rust do the same thing. Have you used Rust before? I I learned Rust in one day <laughs> workshop too. Um, Rust would. I mean, Rust's got a kind of a different object model, I guess. You cannot change. You can change things in Rust. Um, I think you have to ask permission to do it before you can do it. Um, oh, yes. I don't no, know I enough about that. Rust to be able to tell I you. I remember that now. But you sort of... R Rust will do let you do a lot of things. It's just but that you But the have default to is not... Yeah. You, I, I think if you... If you don't do anything fancy, um, if you don't ask to do anything strange, yeah. If you if you don't want to receive a mutable object, then you can't mutate it. If you receive a mutable object, then I don't. Then I think unless you do something strange, you can't mutate it in a way that will change its type, like you can in JavaScript. Um, uh, because I don't. Because I don't think that. Um, like I don't know Rust well enough, but I I think its object model is effectively the same as C's, where an object is just code that you're looking at. Uh, sorry, it's just memory that you're looking at, and you can it's it's up to the it's up to the program to interpret it. Um, and therefore, if you allowed somebody to change, I mean, I, I, and therefore I think the entire point of Rust as an extension to C is to prevent you from passing objects around and by passing them around changing the way the memory gets interpreted because in in c you can change the way the memory gets interpreted you can say well you know at this point this is a pointer to um an array and, and another point it's just a number and i can add one to it um oh i don't remember i did that yeah i don't think you did that <laughs> uh, that's usually a bug sort of I mean, it's not usually a bug. It, it's sometimes what people deliberately do, but it's it's not it's not the sort of thing you would do unless you're pretty confident in the language because it's so dangerous. It's it's not the th sort of thing that you would do to sort of you know get your toes wet. Another thing that I found refreshing about Elm is how it is making functional programming less scary because I remember whenever I talked about functional programming or you know just tell somebody I know that I use mainly functional programming at work is that they are scared of it due to the reputation of Haskell in university. What do you think about that? Well, I didn't learn Haskell in university, so um, uh, I, I don't know what the reputation of Haskell in the university is. Um, wait, wait. If that's the case, maybe we can do another episode about your view on Haskell. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Okay. But yeah, I think that's how I got into functional programming and how I became hooked to Elm. You should also mention the fact that after you came 
out of that. You searched for elm jobs and found one. Oh, uh, yes. That's also a lucky <laughs> encounter. So after that workshop, I think the night after that, or like the same day, <laughs> the same day, I was just randomly Google for elm plus job. You weren't randomly Googling, but you were Googling... <laughs> Well, I don't remember what query or like what keyword I was searching for, but it's just Elm Jobs Germany, perhaps. And then I found one. I just applied straight away, yeah. even though I don't have experience in functional programming languages before. And they also said that you should have a programming degree. and That is true. So most of the job requirements in Germany still requiring bachelor's degree in computer science and that is usually stopping me for applying but I don't know I was just <laughs> I don't know why I applied but then yes I got in and work until now Yes, but now Tristan is always jealous of me because I have functional programming job which Tristan really wants it. It's true. I'd like it. I'd like the job. Yes, so if any of our listeners are hiring for functional developers, feel free to contact us. Yep, you should hire me. So, I think this is the end of our podcast or index zero of it's Pipsicle. Yep, I think I think this is the end of index zero of Pipsicle. Okay. And hopefully we have more indexes to add into our Pipsicle. More indexes to add into our Pipsicle. I think we're mixing metaphors there, but we can do it. <laughs> what's, what's a better way to... More functions to add to our Pipsicle? Oh, is, is, is a Pipsicle the chain of functions? True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just a word we made up now. Like literally in the middle of podcasting. Okay. Okay. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.